Now that the, uh, the worship group have moved out from there, are you sitting comfortably? Yeah, yeah. That was the, that was the question, of course, wasn't it? Uh, between 1950 and 1982, um, before the story with Listen with Mother. Uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm old enough to remember that, but I don't, right? I don't know whether that means I didn't listen with Mother uh, or, or whether the television had taken its proper place uh, in our homes instead of radio uh, by then. Um, we generally like to be comfortable, don't we? We, we like to be comfy. You know, we might be going, well, actually, it's a, you know, it is a comfy chair, but uh, maybe it's not that comfy. You know, it depends. On, a, on Friday night, we, we had, uh, along with Pulse, we, we invited Hayward's Heath Baptist Church 45 to be with us for a film night. And some of the leaders were most relieved when they realised that in the upper room that there was slightly comfier chairs. They thought they might have been having to sit on hard plastic for an hour and a half and thought that might be a bit difficult. And it was, uh, oh, it's like being in a cinema. You know, was the, was the comment. But when we are uncomfortable, be it due to an inadequate padding on our chair or for some other reason, like the minister suddenly using a different version of the Lord's Prayer without warning, then it causes us to question and object. It, 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 it throws us and makes us wonder about what's going on. In the account of Pentecost that Luke gives us in our passage, there is comfort and there is discomfort, and they come together with the same event to the same crowd of people at the same time. They hear God being praised in their own tongue, and that delights them. It makes them feel welcome. They're like, yes, people are praising God here. And yet at the same time, they are put slightly on edge because they cannot comprehend what is going on because they don't expect it to happen. That's not what they imagined they would be hearing. They don't expect it. And they question the linguistic skills of the Galileans. They're a bit like... Um, when Nathaniel is called at the start of Jesus' ministry, how he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? They're sort of going, Galileans? Really? Now nah, they couldn't be doing that. They've come to the city. They've come for a festival. They've come to worship God. but they didn't expect to hear worship in that way. The city is celebrating the, the early harvest festival that also marks the giving of the law at Mount Sinai 
through Moses, which happened 50 days after the Passover. It's 50 days after that running away from Egypt when the law gets handed down. And so the visitors of many lands come to Jerusalem to celebrate. But what they encounter, what is happening in the city, is the gift of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. They come to think about the law, and they encounter the action of the Spirit. The crowd are not of everywhere that we would recognize on the globe today, are they? You know, there's no one that's a native of Australia or New Zealand. There's nobody from the Americas or Scandinavia, nor the near or far east lands that actually were known about by that time. However, the names of the regions they do come from include lands related to the places inhabited by descendants of all three sons of Noah. The sons Japheth, Shem, and Ham went into these lands. And so there's an inference that although some of these people are not children of Abram, who was born of Shem's line, they are the scatterings of Babel and have a common heritage in the flood, a common heritage as those that God has saved. These are people that God has saved but then become distant. Although not every not even children of every nation known in the first century is in attendance. There's no one from Britain. They are the sisters and the brothers of those in every land upon the earth. They are a relation of those that are elsewhere. Those lands that are not known of yet are actually populated by people that are sisters and brothers of those that are known. So we have a huge chunk of the Bible story arc going on in the background at work here. People thinking about the law. People thinking about how they are the diaspora and how they have come home. There's a reversal of Babel and a timing related to the Ten Commandments. But there's other elements too. And the movement of the Spirit in a place of prayer has a hint of how at creation the Spirit moved across the waters of the earth, how it hovered above. The Spirit always has a real impact. It always makes a difference. And yet is often 
somehow intangible. The Spirit came with a sound like a violent wind. And yet there's not a violent wind there. There's no destruction. The trees are not blown over. The buildings are not demolished. People are not blown about. And yet the sound is there. There was something like tongues of flame from a fire that was seen to touch the disciples. But it's more a metaphorical flame than a physical one. Nobody gets burned in the process. It brings to mind the hot coal to the tongue in Isaiah's vision at the time of his call. It touches, it blesses, it purifies, but yet doesn't burn, doesn't leave damage. Instead, it brings healing and hope and enables him to be the person that God wants him to be. He saw himself as a man of unclean lips. But when God blesses with the Holy Spirit, we are made holy before God. We are able to be in that presence. And at Pentecost, the Spirit came not for one man who was being equipped for one purpose. It came not to empower one prophet to speak the word or to a priest or to anoint a king. But it came and it touched every single one of the believers that were gathered there. Not just Peter and the eleven that go outside to talk to the crowd. There's over a hundred believers at this time. And the Spirit anoints them all. The Spirit comes and blesses each one. And the Spirit today still comes to every believer as they commit themselves to follow Jesus Christ. The Spirit comes and blesses and marks us as children of God and enables us to be part of the one church, the holy, catholic, apostolic church, the very presence of God in the world today. The Spirit comes to us and blesses us and makes us his. And so as Peter goes out, we hear those words of Joel saying about what is actually going on. Joel speaks of powers to prophesy, and it's within this context that the gift of earthly tongues seems to be heard. Peter's explanation saying that, no, they weren't drunk, relates to the idea that they would not have been drinking, even in the context of a meal. It's only the third hour. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Although we have the account of the the risen Jesus cooking fish on the beach, uh, it wasn't normally time for much 
in their way of food until noon. Didn't really have a breakfast as well. They wouldn't have a full English. They might have had something to keep them going, particularly if they'd been working all night, like the fishermen were. But they wouldn't normally have eaten till noon. And as he speaks to the crowd, we might wonder what tongue this uneducated fisherman is using that he is understood. And the answer might be Aramaic or it might be Greek because he would probably have spoken both. As would those visitors to the city. You know, as they are discussing among themselves, as they're thinking about the places they've come from, they're doing that in a common language, a language that they all know. And it begs the question, if the disciples could already speak a language that others could understand, if all these visitors knew, or if they'd earwigged at the door of the people praying, they would have understood the words being said, why are the disciples suddenly speaking in these different tongues? And it was to bring comfort, and it was to bring discomfort. It amazed and caused them to be perplexed. It was to open the public dialogue and enable the gospel witness of the disciples to take place. Yes, they could have just prayed in their normal tongue. But by speaking in those different languages as the Spirit suddenly gave them, they were able to do amazing things because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit equips us to do something new. The Spirit equips us to be the church, to be his people, to see the kingdom grow. Not for our individual benefit, but for the benefit, for the glory of God. And so they speak in different tongues. And it creates an opening. It's like why so many television programs have that teaser before the opening titles. You know, you get two or three minutes worth of program and then you suddenly get the titles running and you're like, well, I know what I'm watching now. Or why didn't you shove the titles at the beginning? It gets our attention so that we stay there viewing the program. We've got a flavor for it. We can see where we're going. Even John's Gospel does it. He doesn't have a nativity account, but a prologue revealing certain key information that we've got a need to know as we go through his gospel. He gives us keys that unlock doors, that gives us a way in to understand what he's saying. Door openers or a hook to catch you. Next weekend, on the common with our delicious free lemonade, we want to share the love of Jesus. 
But I wonder if we didn't have the free drinks, how many of the hundreds milling past would actually come across and talk to us? We could stand there wanting to share our faith. How effective would it be? We could sit and pray and ask that the Spirit might move people closer. And that might work if people are open to the nudge that the Spirit gives them. Or we can pray that people will come to us and give out free drinks. Giving something of an opening. And sharing something too of who we are. And of God's love for them. We offer something of comfort. We offer a drink as a means to speak the language of the day. But also to speak the language of God. That we have loved and they have loved. But people only grow when there's something of discomfort. And no doubt we'll see in a few people their uncomfortableness as they realize that there is no charge. It's a great difficulty. What? Nothing? Nothing? Really? We do it because they're loved. And that something's free, and that it's free because they're loved, is not something that's commonly said. And that makes folk uncomfortable. But in that uncomfortableness, a new comfort, the love of God, can become known. As Peter gives his account of what is happening, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit as promised 400 years or more ago. There are still those in the crowd questioning. And perhaps for them, the discomfort is too much. They look for an excuse not to listen. Oh, it's those people from Galilee. Oh, those people are drunk. But the words of Joel spoken by the disciple don't just cover the promise of the Spirit, but also identifies that a day of judgment approaches. For the gift of the Spirit is for the end times. Occasionally over the years, people have pointed to world events, maybe the COVID pandemic, maybe the war in Ukraine, and questioned whether these are signs of the end times. Well, yes and no. Jesus has commented that there will be war and rumor of war, but this has always been the case. The prophecy of Scripture spoken by Peter identifies that for the past 2,000 years, we have been in the end times. The end times between the ascension of the Lord and his return in glory when the kingdom will be seen in fullness on the day of judgment. The end times where every believer is welcomed into the family of God, made fit to be in the presence of God by the Spirit and equipped by the Spirit 
to be the presence of God in the world. May we, by the power of the Holy Spirit's anointing in our lives, know in fullness the hope of our salvation. May it come alive to us in a really bright way. May we be blessed and enabled by his power to share God's love, to share God's comfort in the uncomfortableness of the world. Perhaps you've been sitting comfortably. Hopefully there's a discomfort there too. But we can see change. Amen.